Welcome to the People and Technology Podcast. We're coming at you live from the Contingent Workforce Conference here in Sydney. I'm David Gazzarotto, and I'm joined as always by my partner in crime, Jared Cameron. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Good, mate. It's a little quieter now. Yeah, it feels really quiet. Yeah, I think right. we've uh, we've been we've been left to our own devices, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, <it's great. laughs> but we're not alone. We've uh, been joined by Paul Chiswick, uh, who's from uh, CXC Global. Great to have you here, Paul. Yeah, really pleased to be involved. Awesome. So what brings you to the conference? So CXC Global is one of the sponsors of the conference. Yep. We've been involved for, with it for a number of years. And from a industry perspective, we're helping shape and deliver a lot of contingent programs for organizations. We were talking just before we got started about some of the sort of uh, challenges that you know some of the customers are facing around the contingent workforce. I mean, tell us a little bit from in your viewpoint. I actually had a look at your LinkedIn profile before we got started, and you've been in the sector for a long time, right? Yep. So you must have seen th- seen some things changing in the last ten years. What are some of your sort of trends and observations that around the contingent workforce? Sure. So in reference to Australia specifically. Um, a lot of organizations held their contingent workforce at arm's length because of yeah. fear around co-employment risk. And therefore, a procurement function may put a panel of suppliers in place, mm-hmm. and then ultimately it's up to the hiring managers in terms of what they do. So historically, it's been more around some visibility, some control, you know, and access via a supply panel. Um, we're seeing a lot of change in terms of companies starting to recognize that as they're getting the increasing percentage of their workforce being non-employee, mm. all of their investment, time, and effort is going in the permanent workforce. Right. So if the CEO is just saying drive efficiency, drive mm. cost, drive performance around our workers, and they're only touching 75% of our workforce, what do we do on that contingent side? Mm. So we are partnering a lot of... Uh, organizations in terms of looking at how we can um, replicate some of the engagement, management and performance of the workforce and also provide a sense of advisory around how do we reduce risk, how do we control costs, how do we drive efficiency and how do we improve the quality when engaging a non-permanent worker. Interesting interesting topic, actually, because um, I myself and a couple of different jobs in my career have been a contingent worker. And generally speaking, I've been pretty well excluded from any performance process, any learning other than what is absolutely bare bones required for me to do my job. And so it's, you know, it's it's, it's great. I'm actually really pleased to hear that organizations are starting to proactively treat some of their contingent workers the broader scope. Is that something that you... Do you still have to sort of battle to have that conversation? Um, is, it, is it becoming yeah. accepted? Or I think one of the biggest challenges around this is there's been no natural owner. Yeah. Yeah, of course. So if we look at talent, and we mm. say talent for an organization is owned predominantly by HR. Yeah. Mm. Um, but that's talent around the permanent workforce historically. Mm. Yeah. Um, and with generational changes and changes in the workplace around increasing the percentage of non-permanent workers in the workforce, Mm. HR is starting to get more and more involved in what do we do around talent, period, for our organization, and what's the right engagement structure. Um, On the other side, we've got procurements, which historically have owned the spend category, because the spend category is viewed large because there's a wage as well as the supplier fees. Mm. Um, And so how it's historically being done is we can control the lever around the access to the organization, so which suppliers do we work with, and we can drive down the cost. But we can't really impact the performance 
or the engagement of those pieces because that's outside the scope for the yeah. procurement function. Yeah, it's true. So then <laughs> ultimately, it's the hiring managers. Yep. So hiring managers are the people that have been courted by the recruiters and the suppliers and these new tech platforms and everything else. Um, and as a hiring manager, I've got to deliver an outcome. I've got to deliver a project. And historically, I've engaged suppliers that have built a relationship and credibility with me. Mm. But now with greater visibility and greater control and greater access you can start looking at the performance of your supply base and you can mm. start to say, yeah, if we're spending this much money in attracting talent to our organization, that talent may be interesting in working as, as a contingent mm. worker as much as they would as a permanent worker. So why don't we leverage that? Mm. So it's still reasonably immature, yeah, but we're I seeing agree. an appetite for organizations to say, okay, how do we engage this worker? How do we get visibility around this work? How do we control the cost? But also, how do we impact its performance and moving forward, if we identify talent, is that the right decision first before we look at the engagement structure where historically it's been, what's the engagement? Is it a permanent worker or is it a contingent worker? And then how do we access that based upon the systems and processes in our organization? So, so it's becoming more of a, um, a broader workforce uh, planning kind of model? Is that, is that um, I think it's more uh, in the media... It's relentless mm. talking about the new gig economy, yeah. talking mm. about contracting contingent work, talking yep. about yeah, a job's no longer for life. You've also got the generational changes. Mm. So you've got the young workers coming in and saying, I-, I want diversity, I want change, I want yeah. to work on my conditions. And you've got the older, more mature workers saying, or yeah, the return to work mums, or mm. the people that want a lifestyle, which is, I want to come in and do a specific project. Yeah, You've then also got supply and demand so mm. people with niche skills can command a significantly greater return potentially in a contingent role yeah. than they could in a permanent role mm. um, and so yet again there's a change in the workforce and there's a change in how we're operating so um, that's really driving organisations to say we need to do something mm. and perhaps the traditional ways we've been doing it may not be the right ways moving forward so there's a lot of conversations Yep. Lots and lots of conversations. Um, and there's some companies which have got really effective programs in place. But because there is no natural owner in the business, mm. yeah, trying to get the program off the ground in the first place is probably one of the greatest challenges. So conceptually, lots and lots of conversations. Yep. Lots of interest, lots of change. Um, and we're having some really interesting discussions. But getting that to... This is what we're going to implement. This is what we're going to drive. Is a slow process. Mm. You know, as you sort of been talking there, Paul, I sort of immediately started thinking this is almost an organisation design problem. So, you know, if you sort of think about what an HR function would often do with an organisation is help them to construct the way the organisation is going to mm. operate, an operating model, you know, an architecture, if you like, for the business. And actually, you've got to go all the way to the top of that pyramid if you're thinking about bringing in a contingent workforce that are not going to or don't traditionally fit within your existing employee base. You kind of have to rethink about what is our operating model? Are we actually trying to bring in more external people? Are we trying to do it more internally? Do they join the same teams? Do they form their own teams? Are they roaming project teams? And what are the factors driving that too? Yeah, and then you throw in the remote worker, and so suddenly now you've got a contingent, so you've got an not an employee, you've got a contingent worker who's possibly not on site all that often and you've got a line manager who is now saying, do I have a performance conversation with them? I don't have a relationship. You know, you can kind of see mm. why there's complexities for the organisation mm. here, can't you? I, I think um, it's also, 
if you're making a decision and influence it as a silo, so as a hiring manager and I'm sat in the IT department and I've got to deliver a major program, my focus is on delivering that major program. Mm-hmm. And therefore, I want the right talent, which yeah. is going to yep. deliver that takes, program. Right. Whereas actually, if I put on my OH&S worker self and safety type hat, mm. I want a safe, secure environment. Mm-hmm. If I put on my IT security hat, I want to ensure there's no loss of intellectual property. Yeah. I want to ensure if we're offering work, that they don't have systems access. If I'm a HR person, we want to ensure our talent's being engaged mm. yeah. and it's performing. And if I'm a CEO, ultimately, I recognize that uh, skills are going to be the um, enabler of growth mm. or something which is going to hold us back. Yeah. Uh, and so if the model moving forward is not all about permanent workers, how do we build a enterprise program yeah. around this? And different yeah. companies are doing different aspects. And what we're seeing is the drivers for who are adopting things is usually as a trigger of either there's been a compliance issue. Mm. So let's fix mm. it from a compliance visibility control. There's been a cost blowout. So that's how can we drive down cost? How can we... And there's a big bucket of cost in this. Yeah, yeah it's a minus. Yeah. Or for another organization... It may be access to talent. So as I said, there's different drivers, but we're also recognizing that most organizations have got a reasonably traditional or immature model around how they're managing their workers. Mm. And historically in Australia, that's been more via suppliers. Yeah, it's a very tactical mode too. And I guess the opportunity and and, um, the sense I have is you're able to bring a more strategic lens to to the table to help from an advisory standpoint, but also to construct a model that perhaps, you know, um, is more broadly yeah. oriented. Than so, so what we're doing for organizations is uh, two aspects. Mm. So there's one aspect, which is once an organization decides to appoint somebody who is non-permanent worker, non-employee mm. worker, then we are partnering them to almost become their HR function. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, how do we onboard them? How do we do the worker self and safety? How yep. do we do the employee engagement? Yeah, how mm. do we tackle the risk management? How mm. do we do all of these pieces? And so for many organizations in Australia, we're doing this for their whole non-permanent workforce, mm-hmm. regardless of the source that that work has come from. Right. So where historically they've had 40 different recruitment suppliers supplying their talent and mm. payrolling and employing their workers, they're getting 40 different processes. Yep. 40, the, the risk is multiple by 40, you know, the, the cost visibility, the control. And so with a lot of organizations, we're providing enterprise workforce management around the non-permanent workers. Mm. The second piece, though, is an organization has got a procure-to-pay process. Once mm-hmm. we decide what type of worker, how do we do it? What technology is supporting this? Right. How do we access the talent? You know, um, what do we do around the supply chain? What mm. do we do around diversity? What do we do around performance? And so from a program and theoretical value to an organization, we're able to play an advisory role mm. around architecting and implementing a solution to support them with that piece. So as I said, yep. I see two aspects. One is... Once we find a worker, how do we employ and manage the worker? So yeah. that workforce management piece. And the second one is how do we even go about identifying and securing a worker in the first place? Mm-hmm. So we are developing and designing solutions which we then operationally mm-hmm. delivering to do that and engaging partners where we don't have the competence to do it. Yeah. So L&D, for example, mm. yeah? because mm. no one provider can do all things. So mm-hmm. we're seeing a great opportunity through collaboration. Mm. We're seeing a lot of disruptors coming into the space, which we're adopting into our programs as well. And so it should be what's 
fit for purpose for where that client is at that point in time. Yeah. So why, um, if you're the outsourced, I guess that's not, right, not yeah. quite the right word, but if you're the, the HR department for the non-permanent workforce, as you've described it, um, a couple of questions come to mind. One is why do we need, why can't the HR department mm. do that mm-hmm. in the first place? Yep. So maybe um, I'll get to tackle that one first and I've got to follow up on it. Okay. <laughs> so historically there's been this you know, uh, dark cloud hanging over from a uh, legislative and legislative legislative <laughs> and union. We can edit that out. And <laughs> union focus, which is all around co-employment. Yep. So as soon as a employer is treating a non-permanent worker under the same conditions and same behaviours as a yes. permanent worker, treated as a permanent employee. then all of a sudden they can ask for their holiday entitlement. Mm. They can mm. ask for the long mm. service leave. They can ask for the same benefits and conditions yep. as a permanent worker. So because of that, industrial relations yeah. and... Yeah, uh, HR have said, no, we can't do it. Yep. Hold it arm's length. Yep. You can't do it with a Chinese wall. You've yep. actually got to distinguish so, between it. And, and what we're doing traditionally is we're doing that via our agencies. Yeah. But when looking at it, it's challenging to get visibility of the workforce. Yeah. Because if we're running with multiple suppliers, yep. and although we may set as an organizational sense a way of working, mm. each company will interpret that in their own way. Mm. Um, and most of the recruitment suppliers have got great skills in certain aspects of their role, whether that's sourcing or influence yeah. to a contractor, but perhaps some of the operational backbone hasn't been invested into the same level. And so from a compliance risk cost focus, mm, mm. it may not have the same rigor as having a consistent provider across that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting, and I, I, the perfect answer it makes absolute sense. The question that then raised, it, it raises mm. in my mind is, um, if you've got two HR departments, how do you actually keep the, um, I guess, the essence of the DNA of the organisation going? You know, so things like culture, engagement, how do you work with mm. the internal folk and, I guess, the leadership teams of the organisations that you partner with mm. um, to ensure that you're, you're not running at two speeds, I guess? Yeah. Ultimately, companies are engaging us as a partner. Hmm. And, and I'll probably say partner rather than outsource provider yeah, to deliver yeah. this service. Um, and we're there to provide the services that the client is wanting us to deliver. Mm-hmm. So we're an extension of their provision rather than anything else. Yeah. So if we look at a number of our organizations, a number of our organizations have successfully established a permanent talent acquisition function are an outsourced permanent talent acquisition function, an yep. RPO function, and they've put in great process, rigor, systems, methodology, and best practice around the permanent. Yeah. They're starting to see, okay, great, how can we bridge this into the contingent, but we can't do it ourselves mm. because of co-employment, because of the knowledge base and infrastructure in our organization. Yep. So how can we do that? So we're providing a collaborative yeah, solution to enable them to do it themselves. Mm-hmm. So we are not owning the strategy. Yep. We are helping shape the strategy with the clients and we're Support delivering mm-hmm. against that which has been created for the mm-hmm. client. So mm-hmm. how do we stay afresh of, as an organization, sense, should I say about changes in legislation around mm-hmm. you know, uh, workforce dynamics, around different types of sourcing and everything else? Well, if we're employing 
10,000 contract workers within Australia around this mm. area, we're building a good competence and knowledge and we're using the right partners to keep us abreast of that, which we can then share with our clients. Yeah. So clients are using us for an operational delivery mm-hmm. of this piece and then secondly they're using us to help shape the strategy which we will then operationally deliver yeah right yep. and so we're bringing back so to them during the yeah. quarterly business reviews mm. how how is it performing where's the innovation how do we drive it forward yeah. so it's a bit of an enrichment there yes. it's yep. not just the provision of the the workforce and making sure it's in the right place at the right time it's, it's actually enriching that uh, and as well and it's also making something which is fit for purpose for a client yeah. mm, rather than how it's been approached historically by a lot of organisations which is here's product one product two product three which product do you want mm. yep off the shelf I mean Paul you talked a little bit about the driving focus behind this being that um, IR legislation makes it difficult for an HR team to sort of manage this internally do you think the legislation is behind the times of today um, the reality of the workforce? I think uh, legislation will continue to change. Yeah. So if you look at currently with a permanent workforce and you've got the ATO. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you've got the ATO and it's got revenue stream mm. to support the investment of the government. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As you're getting a greater percentage of your workforce moving to contingent, do you think the government's going to say, great, go for your life, manage it yourself? <laughs> Or will they take a greater focus and interest in ensuring that they're collecting the yeah, right keep revenue? getting their yeah. revenue. And, yeah. and they need to, and, right? And, and similar from a Fair Work Australia and yep. an industrial relations sense, mm. we've got compliance and rigour around how we're treating our workers mm. on a permanent perspective. In a non-permanent perspective, you've got a multitude of different providers. How do we protect the interests of our workers? Yeah. Mm. So my view is, if anything, we anticipate greater focus from government mm. and regulators moving forward than less. Yeah. Yeah, and we're seeing that with changes to um, how temporary work is being treated and the licensing laws for agencies, which the, you know, is yeah. very yeah, influenced by some of the unions, some would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And so we anticipate there'll be even greater complexity moving forward because there's disruption happening in the marketplace mm, and there's mm. changes in the way we work. So uh, we're hoping that we will continue to be relevant for our organisations yeah. but needing to change as to adapt as, to it. as the market changes. But if anything, it creates greater uncertainty and greater complexity for clients mm. in terms more, of how they navigate it. And more need for support. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and one of the pieces for us is how we engage and support a client initially for the first few years may change long term. Yeah. 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 So they will learn some of the basic pieces, but mm. then it's how do we continue to evolve those solutions? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> we went through all sorts there. Paul, um, <laughs> just had a look at the time. Whoa. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. It's Thank been, you. Uh, it's been great. We've had a really good chat about the HR service for the contingent worker. It's, um, it's an interesting topic, one I think we should explore further. Just Thank scratch the surface. On. Thank you very much. Pleasure to have you.